Hello, Minneapolis. I want to thank everybody for coming. We do oh, a couple dozen events a year. They're usually with politicos. This is way more interesting. <laughs> and I noticed there's a very different audience. Those of you who come to our usual events will look around like, where'd these people come from? <laughs> so I want to just welcome everybody who's here. Check out our other events. They're also interesting and fun. Uh, they tend to be on things like elections, and we do a whole lot on health reform. We have in governors and senators and those sort of people and, um, and lots of other topics. Um, we're usually in the summer we do fewer. A um, uh, few things just on kind of format. Uh, Curtis and I are going to have a chat. Um, we ask people, we want you to get involved in the conversation. It's very serious. Um, we, this is like our, our thing. We'll talk and then you all will, will weigh in. We do ask you to fill out question cards, which is, I know, a bit awkward, but here's the reason. A lot of our programs, not all, but a lot of them are broadcast on Minnesota Public Radio. And it turns out, if we give them a seamless broadcast, you know, tape, here's what it is, they're more apt to, to run it rather than having to go through an edit, because they need a stream of sound. So we give them a stream of sound. What I can tell you is, if you ask challenging questions, questions that are like, you guys are clueless, I'm more apt to ask those questions because this is not about filtering out tough questions. Uh, believe me, if you've come to our events before, you will know, wow, this guy seems like, <laughs> you know, I'm just uh, reading questions that people have sent up. Or I just incorporate them into what we're talking about. Um, so please don't be offended by that. It's just, it's part of our, our strategy about um, how to make sure that a conversation with maybe 50 or 100 people reaches hundreds of thousands. Um, so I want to thank you again for coming. We have done over the years uh, programs with writers, both fiction and nonfiction writers, uh, Tracy Kidder, um, uh, Melissa Faye Green, uh, Thomas Mallon, um, and others have come. We've had pin painters, um, and so this is kind of part of that. And the reason that, that we like to do that is we realize that conversations about where we are as a country and the topics we're talking about and our politics, both the practicing and the activism around politics and how the political system works, we need a whole lot of ways to think about and talk about that. And frankly, my usual language, which is the pie chart or the conversation with the politician is maybe less and less effective because I know people find that to be a big turnoff. So this is part of that. Maybe a little different for those of you uh, who go to fiction readings. Let me assure you, though, I am a properly uh, credentialed uh, English major. <laughs> I went to Oberlin College, and they did give me an English major, so I want to let you know that I'm not entirely incompetent. Um, I am so excited to have Curtis uh, Sittenfeld with us. Um, those of you who know Curtis's work will know that she's written five novels. Uh, she's a best-selling writer um, and a really great writer. I was so glad I started this book, but then really sat down and read it over the last uh, week or so. And I am so glad. It is, she is a terrifically talented writer um, in a lot of different ways. And we're going to get into um, some of the writing. Um, there's more information on the back of this, so I'm not going to go through reading a whole bio, but it's there. Um, Curtis, one of the things that I like about your writing is uh, that You've, you've written about a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. You've written about um, uh, boarding schools. You've written about kind of growing up in different ways. And then you came upon this, like, this cottage industry, uh, writing about first ladies. Uh, this book, American Wife, is the, the PR stuff says loosely based on Laura Bush. <laughs> Let me say, not so loosely. <laughs> it, it, it feels, other than the romantic scenes, I'm tracking everything, a lot of the big stuff in here is Laura Bush, um, though it's Wisconsin rather than Texas. That's the big difference. Um, but um, you've also uh, have written about uh, Esquire piece and now new work about Hillary Clinton. Um, you've uh, interviewed uh, Michelle Obama. Was that fun? Um, it was very fun. It was, um, wait, but I hope this doesn't, uh, 
interrupt the, the flow for public radio, but, um, but I just want to say thank you, Larry, so much for having me um, and, and the center, and thank you all for, I, I feel like I can't say like thank you for coming out on a beautiful summer night, but <laughs> thank you for coming out on a moderately nice summer night. Um, uh, so, oh, yeah, so to answer your first question, um, it was wait, wait, what, what was this the adjective? Or was it what? great inter interviewing Michelle? Obama? Yeah. It was great. It was um, just for a little bit of context. It was actually so American Wife was published in two thousand eight, um, and it was published. Uh, <laughs> which I, it's funny looking back because I I was never sure how deliberate this was. Although I think it must have been at least sixty percent deliberate. It was published. Um, maybe the same week as the Republican convention, which immediately followed the Democratic convention. And I think that the Republican convention in 2008 was anticipated to be kind of sleepy. And then McCain selected Sarah Palin as his running mate. And so then, you know, it was this sort of chaotic week in which, you know, somehow a, a novel about a, a first lady maybe seemed like slightly less enthralling to the, the media. But anyway, um, Time magazine asked if I would like to write a profile of Michelle Obama. And so I went to the, so she wasn't yet first lady, but I went to the um, Democratic convention in Denver that year. And um, and yeah, it was, I feel like the, the way I feel about her is sort of, if you're an admirer of Michelle Obama, which I think, you know, a, a very high proportion of people are, she's, she's sort of exactly what you imagine and want her to be in your wildest dreams. And like, just, you know, it, like true, like just as charming, just as funny, just as beautiful, just as sort of casually insightful. She really was one of the most dazzling people that I had ever met. She said, um in your interview with her, I think, and elsewhere, she said that people don't think she exists. Yeah, yeah, which was a very poignant thing. What she actually, I think what she essentially meant was people don't think that a middle class or upper middle class educated black woman exists because you see that so little in the media. You know, you, you sort of see there's like Oprah and then, you know. Um, and I think, I, I hope that, 11 years later, there are more sort of examples of that or role models or even like, you know, TV shows or, but I, I think that's, to, if, the, if the question is like, is the, um, you know, educated middle-class black woman underrepresented or under-celebrated? I think, unfortunately, the answer is probably definitely still yes. One of the things that's so remarkable about American life is um, that you bring the power of fiction to politics, <laughs> and you bring out the character of Laura Bush. Why did you decide to write about her, and how would you describe her? Well, so uh, unlike Michelle Obama, I have never met Laura Bush. I guess that's sort of a grammatically like incorrect but still accurate sense. Unlike Laura Bush, I've never met Michelle Obama, and unlike meeting Michelle Obama, I've never met Laura Bush. Um, so, so I am definitely a Democrat. And when um, George W. Bush was elected, uh, I felt, I think the, the first time that I ever felt sort of actively intrigued by Laura Bush was pretty soon um, into, you know, their family living in the White House. There was an article in the New York Times where it said, it talked about she was holding this series of literary salons and that writers would go to them and often the writers will, so I, I kind of joke about this, but I think it's true. Supposedly there's like one or one and a half um, conservative fiction writers. So you can, everyone knows <laughs> who they are um, and, and really, but like, so, so the writers were, you know, they were either openly progressive or liberal, or like you could just assume they were. And in, in some cases they wrote nonfiction, so it was very easy to find. So they would go to these salons, and I think they would think, you know, I'll go to the White House. Um, and it kind of condescendingly expect that she wasn't really familiar with their work, but that she wanted to, you know, cloak herself in this literary aura. And then they would go and find out that in fact, she had read like every book they'd ever written. She could discuss them with great detail. and. And, um, and so I, st I started kind of reading more about her and there were these details that were sort of fascinating and ultimately there was a biography of her that came out, I think, I 
think it was in 2006 by a Washington Post reporter named Ann Gerhardt. And so I, I can't exactly remember when I learned which details, but some of them, she had, she had married George Bush at the age of 32, which in the late 70s in West Texas was, you know, I think she thought of herself as an old maid. And um, she was a Democrat at that point, which, and I, I do think being a Democrat and marrying into a Republican family at 32 is not the same as at, say, 22. Um, and she, I think that, that she and George Bush had sort of socialized in these overlapping circles for years, and people had even floated the idea of setting them up, and she had thought that it sounded, he sounded like he was too political. Um, you know, obviously little did she know. And so, <laughs> So they, were, they meet and they're engaged within six weeks of meeting and married within six weeks of being engaged. So I, I just thought like these are really fascinating. And she was a librarian, which is for a writer, there's almost no one more endearing than a librarian. Um, <laughs> And then also there had been this, this incredibly tragic thing that she was involved in or that, that a lot of people don't know about and people who read the book will say to me, is that true? Which is when she was in high school, she was driving, she was you know, sober, she ran a stop sign and hit another car and killed the driver who was also the boy in her class in you know, relatively small town Texas. And actually, I changed this a little bit in the book, but in real life, it happened almost the same week as um, Kennedy's assassination. So yeah, it's, so there's all this stuff that, so okay, so, so Anne Gerhardt's biography comes out, I think in 06, and I wrote an article for Salon, like just like an essay about um, being a liberal who sort of admires Laura Bush and, and you know, is intrigued by her and how my friends would tease me. And I said her life is like a great novel, which I later thought, oh, like I think a year and a half later, I thought, I should write it. And then I thought, oh, I wish I, wish I hadn't used the word great and I wish I hadn't given away my idea. But, <laughs> but, but nobody else took it, actually, so. Um, you've got a short story collection out now, yes. um, which is called You Think It, I'll Say It. And um, you talk about um, maybe an interview, I think, or maybe, an, I can't remember the acknowledgments. You said um, a friend of yours had mentioned it because you tend to do that. And when I was reading the, uh, American Wife, I was thinking that, that you were kind of try, putting yourself, at least in Laura Bush's situation, and thinking her thoughts. And I, know, I feel like I know quite a bit about the Bush family. And I thought, yeah. I mean, other than the romance scenes, <laughs> which I have no clue about, but maybe you have inside information. No. Well, actually, I, I kind of stress this, that I really don't have inside information. And there's nothing, I mean, I certainly read books. But there's nothing in American Wife, like it, something as a fiction writer that I'm, I'm really struck by is there's a tremendous amount of material about like everything in the, in the public, you know, whatever domain. And or it's, it's accessible to all of us. It's not like we have to like know any of the bushes or, know, or whatever, whatever the subject is. And there's just, I think, you know, there's such an onslaught of information. We can't all remember everything. And so there can be these sort of shocking details that investigative reporters have, you know, come across or, or whatever that, that are out there for anybody. So it's, in a weird way, I think that the fact, you know, I, I started this book when I lived in Philadelphia and then I finished it when I, when I lived in St. Louis, Missouri. And I, in a weird way, I think it's like, it is sort of the book of an outsider and that I, I did live in Washington DC for three years and I taught, I was the writer in residence and then taught part-time English at um, this boys' school called St. Albans, which people people will say, oh, it's like the place where senators send their sons, which in the literal sense, probably like one senator at a time sends their sons there, so it's not, it's not completely wrong. But, um, but so in some ways, I, I think I probably interacted with like, you know, politically powerful people in that I was teaching creative writing to their sons, you know, it was, it was all boys, but I, it was, it was never like, um, I was at fancy DC dinner parties and it was, it was more like I was, you know, reading articles, reading profiles and reading books about, about people who were at those fancy parties. But I think the power of, of uh, particularly the first two thirds it is very much the novel technique, first person, of you are bringing to us the inner monologue 
of this person, this human being, and she comes to life. She comes to life as someone who is really deeply moral, as someone who's reserved, painfully reserved in some cases, someone who is um, quite loyal, um, loves family, um, easily embarrassed. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's obviously not autobiographical since it's since, uh, yeah. But, <laughs> um, and, and then she falls in with this guy who's just about the opposite. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of kind of cutting remarks throughout about the Laura Bush character regarding George W. Bush. Just eviscerates him as kind of a low life, not that smart. So how is it just as like a, how does this hold together? Wait, sorry, you think the Laura Bush character thinks that her own husband is not that smart? Yeah? Yeah. I mean, That's he, interesting. He's, I mean, you do, he is described at various points as being, you know, a dimwit. Uh, well, I don't think she described, I mean, I think other people, but so I, I think that what you're asking is, like when the Bushes, you know, were in the White House, which of course seems like it was 200 years ago, um, and I feel, I never thought I would feel so sentimental <laughs> for those days. Um, <laughs> But I, I think that people, I feel like people would often, and so many people have said this to me, you know, after this book came out, and that, that people would say, what does she think of him? Like, if she, is, so I think there were kind of two public views of Laura Bush, which was, one was, you know, she's sort of a Stepford wife, and, and I, you know, she do, she's a sort of shallow person and doesn't seem to have many original thoughts, and um, you know, just sort of watches her husband with like glazed eyes, which I think is really underestimating her. And then this other one was, um, you know, she's this very thoughtful person with a rich inner life and she's educated on lots of issues. And so like, what does she think when, when her husband, you know, kind of acts goofy, which again, it's <laughs> like, it seems so, his, his goofiness does seem a, kind of innocent. Although it's also like politically, like in some ways, I think that this book is not completely, but partly about like the Iraq war and what, what would she think of that? And, um, and so like, does she feel responsible for his decisions? And, and that she also, I think was a pretty private person. And so, you know, where did her sort of support for him and, and and her kind of like almost being masochistic or something to her I don't know so so uh, yeah I think but but the other thing that I I think is um, I mean I, I do think that they that there was sort of like a yin yang relationship and I think they actually genuinely loved each other like I don't know if she was I think she was probably which again I'm so like it's like I'm, I'm, you can really have a lot of plausible deniability when you write fiction. Like I'm not an expert, and then I'll be like, but what I think is, I mean, I I think she was attracted probably not to his intelligence, but more to his like, f you know, humor and his sense of fun and his energy and yeah. Um, one of the characteristics of this novel uh, is that it has the timeless feel of um, really qu high quality literature. Thank uh, you, Larry. <laughs> you know, the, the kind of um, counterposing of universal themes uh, with the particularity of these particular characters. And the universal theme is you've got the inner world, your own internal monologue, um, your own internal hopes and frustrations and tragedies. And then you live in an iron cage in which you are prevented or you're forced. And that's her situation, right? I mean, that is... It seems to me the kind of fundamental tension, that, you know, once you're introduced to her and, and then the George Bush character comes in, she's constantly, you know, moving between the spot of, if I say nothing, um, am I complicit? Mm -hmm. If I speak up, am I betraying him? Mm -hmm. And it's certainly in the White House, but even before the White House, when he's, you know, into the boozing and mm -hmm. cocaine use mm -hmm. and and she's going back and forth on that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I think you're right, which of course, I think that in life, you don't want to have, you don't want to be in a situation where like both options are bad options, but in fiction, it's actually great. <laughs> it's, it really is, I mean, because it, it's sort of, you feel for, and I think what you're saying, just to, to jump ahead, which we can sort of talk about this, but I'm, I am actually writing a novel about Hillary Clinton, which I didn't think I would do, but you know, we surprise ourselves. And, and one of the things, in terms of putting, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, that I, I, ha I do think there's something so interesting about these very 
public people, um, and Hillary even more so than Laura Bush, where you know, we've been exposed to them in so many ways for so long, but I also feel like we don't know them. And, and I've thought, with regard to Hillary, I've thought about um, Kate McKinnon on Saturday Night Live, who's played her, that I, I feel, I don't know Kate McKinnon, but I feel this kinship with her because I feel like we're like two of the only, <laughs> only people who've tried to picture Hillary Clinton from the inside. Like what does, not, not what do we make of her, but what does, what do the rest of us look like to her? What does the world look like to her? And, and I think that's also, because it, it, some, some people will say this as a compliment and some people will say it as an insult, that, that I think that this book is a, essentially a violation and, and if I'm successful, so <laughs> one that I'm, I'm writing. And, and so some people have said to me almost like, how can you, how can you sleep at night? or how can you live with yourself? And I feel like it actually, I think it is an act of compassion to try to think in a sincere way what the world looks like from someone else's eyes and like, you know, why they make the choices they make. And it's not satirical, which is actually, it was part of why this book was hard to explain to my publisher when I was writing it, that I was saying, I'm a Democrat, you know, it's about Laura Bush, it's not satire. So I'm actually someone who loves, um, I read politics all the time. I write for journals where maybe 10 people will read what I write, <laughs> even though they're very hard to get into. For fun, I read political biographies. Uh -huh. This is not a political biography. It's not. <laughs> so, um, you know, let me down easy. Why is it that fiction um, gives you this entree that, entree that you've been talking about in a way that a political biography that's well-researched doesn't? Well, it's funny because, so, so what would be, would it be like a memoir or a biography, you know, written by someone else? You, you know, either one. I mean, you know, I think of, um, you know, really high quality uh, political memoirs, but, you know, especially um, uh, political biographies yeah. that bring you to that moment. They don't take on the first person, but they bring you the moment, they explain you know, the contradictions and the opportunities, but also the looming disaster. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there actually is a huge audience for those books, isn't there? I mean, I, I think but it- But why is it that you chose to use fiction? Oh. What is the, what is the advantage that you as a fiction writer have over, you know, the kind of more tedious, uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, kind of political biography writer. You know, it's, it's so it's funny. It's I, I think that I I would never ask like, myself that question because I it's almost like I would I would only write fiction or like maybe there would have to be some extremely good reason for me to write nonfiction. And th there's a few answers. So one thing is um, when I graduated from college, I I was. Um, a reporter at a business magazine, and then in my 20s, I sort of freelanced, and that was mostly how I supported myself, including for like teen people, which was the, the junior version of People magazine. It no longer exists, but, um, and uh, so, so, but, and I feel like the older I get, the less and less I freelance, and I, or the less nonfiction I write. I'm 43 now, and, and occasionally, I've been invited to write profiles or and and I've thought to myself like there are probably hundreds if not more people like let's say say we we choose some public figure like even I mean th this is something I kind of regret but I was once invited to write a profile of Taylor Swift and the reason I this was a few years ago she was a little bit less I mean she was still famous but um, and I, par the reason I didn't partly was timing, but I, I do feel like there are probably hundreds and hundreds of people who could write a very engrossing profile of Taylor Swift that I would enjoy reading, but I think I'm the only person who will write the, the fiction that I write, like the stories I write, the novels I write, and so it does um, feel sort of like it, like almost in, I, I don't know how much I believe in like destiny or fate or something, but it feels it feels more like why wouldn't I do that? And even at one point, I was invited recently to not even I wasn't formally invited, but it was it was sort of floated this discussion of of my um, maybe being part of this podcast that involves a lot of nonfiction research, and I almost couldn't imagine, like I do a lot of research for my books, and especially I've never done more than I'm doing for the Hillary, and I couldn't imagine doing all this research and then 
like reporting it straightforwardly. Like it was almost like, where's where's the fun in that? Like you, it's almost like like it's it's fun to like manipulate it. And let, let me, yeah, let, let, let me give you a, another possibility. See yeah. what you think of it. The power of fiction is that you can reveal something about a character or a group of characters that is not known to anyone other than that person. Yeah, and maybe it's not. True. You know, true or, <laughs> or accurate, but it is, you know, kind of this very precious, very kind of extraordinary moment. Um, do you think there's something to that? Yes, I, I strongly agree. So, because even, like, one, one time there was some article, oh, you know what it was? There was actually around, so Laura Bush's um, autobiography came out maybe in 2010 or something and of course I, I went to the bookstore the day it was published um, and the New York Times did this which this was actually implicitly flattering if not explicitly flattering but they did this thing where they sort of made a chart and, and compared American Wife to her real <laughs> memoir and, and there was something they said and it was like like essentially they made some line that was like, you know, mine follows her into the bedroom and the bathroom and like her own doesn't, doesn't take people there. But I do feel like almost like, it's almost weird or bad manners to reveal too much about yourself if you're a real person. But, and some people might make the same argument in fiction. I would not make that, like I feel like there's, that's what fiction's for. And the people, like a lot of fiction writers I think will say that it is this, made-up thing that allows you to access a, a deeper truth, almost because, like, decorum prevents prevents us from... I mean, we don't, we, we don't want each other to be that open, right? So I'm wondering if you could read a... <laughs> I, I was raised in Brooklyn. <laughs> I wonder if you could read a section. This is... Okay. Um, so the first three quarters, well, why don't you set it up? It's on the... You, you've read it much more recently than, than I have. It's uh, the first three quarters of uh, American Wife is um, uh, the Laura Bush's character uh, emerging as a you know, teenager to being a person and then meeting um, the George W. Bush character. They, they get married in a, in a heartbeat. Um, and then kind of their journey... And now we're, we're in the White House. Um, and what I like about this scene is it brings you into the bedroom. Mm -hmm. Just where you said, this is where <laughs> Laura Bush is not going to take you. They're in the bedroom. There are a few events swirling around, including the fact that there's a, conserv a, a, a presumed to be conservative Supreme Court nominee that the president has just put up. Um, her name is Ingrid Sanchez. Um, okay, and one one other thing is that <clears throat> if if you haven't read the book, the first three quarters of it, I think some people read not knowing it's about Laura Bush, and they and they still don't, and they feel like it's sort of this you know sweeping story of a Wisconsin woman, and then once they get to the White House, it's unmistakable, and so and so the the fourth section or chapter tends to be, I think maybe, and it's, I mean, this might change as the years pass and it's not, the Bushes aren't so recent, but I think for like 75% um, of readers when the book came out, it was their least favorite chapter and then for 25% it was their favorite. <laughs> but anyway, okay. Um, so this is, yeah, the morning in their, in their bedroom, which I did, among the other research I did, I was like, do they sleep in the same room? Do they share a bathroom? Do they, you know, um, okay. Uh, so Charlie, Charlie, their names are Charlie and Alice. Um, what are they saying about Ingrid? And what I intend to be a neutral tone, I say, they're mostly trying to gauge her stance on abortion. Ingrid Sanchez, Charlie's Supreme Court nominee, was a U.S. attorney in Michigan and then a judge for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. She is a practicing Catholic and a lay, oh God, this, this always happens, I don't know how to pronounce this word. <laughs> we'll skip over it. She's a lay minister of her local, it's like a, ecclesial, I don't know, minister of her local church. And though she has made no official statement on the subject, she is widely assumed to be pro-life. She also appears to have an impeccable record, and the fact that she's female makes protesting her nomination trickier for women's groups, which isn't to say they're staying quiet. 
Charlie's last appointee, the new Chief Justice, whose confirmation occurred in September 2006, is conservative as well, though his views on abortion, even after his first term, remain ambiguous. One other thing, the, the character had an abortion, the Alice character had an abortion, which I have no evidence that Laura Bush ever did. If Ingrid Sanchez is confirmed, it is possible that the court will vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. While this makes me uncomfortable, the matter is not in my hands, and it's scarcely as if Charlie doesn't know my views. The whole country knows my views. Shortly before Charlie's first inauguration, the anchor of a national morning news show asked if I thought abortion should be legal, and I said yes. Asked by the same anchor in 2004 whether I had changed my mind, I said no. Those, that actually is true, both those things, that she gave these one-word answers. Though I didn't expand on the topic in either instance, both times the question was one I had agreed in advance to answer. Typical of the Times, Charlie says, he means the New York Times, Charlie says, and his nostrils flare in irritation. Here Ingrid's got nearly three decades of legal and judicial experience, and they've got to reduce it to one issue. Sweetheart, I think that's to be expected. The Republicans are as curious as the Democrats. While Charlie reads no newspaper on a regular basis, relying instead on briefings from his staff, his contempt for the New York Times is particularly intense. This is ironic, given, at the, given that in the 80s, when we were in Halcyon in the summers, he and Arthur would drive an hour and 25 minutes to Green Bay to buy the Times Sunday edition. They would call ahead to a grocery store to reserve their copy. I push off the sheet and duvet and stand, wrapping my arms around Charlie and inhaling the scent of his neck and shoulders. You smell very clean, I say. I reach for the slim leather folder on his nightstand and open it. These folders, an identical one is on my nightstand, contain our schedules for the day. Before we go to bed, we each receive both our own and each other's. On his plate today, intelligence and FBI briefings, a late morning speech at a conference for small business leaders in Columbus, Ohio, a fundraising luncheon in Buffalo, and a meeting with his economic advisors back in the Oval Office this afternoon, before and after which he'll make calls on Ingrid Sanchez's behalf. Tonight at eight o'clock, there's a White House gala titled Students and Teachers Salute Alice Blackwell, which I find quite embarrassing. As Hank reminded me when he got me to agree to it in April, Charlie's approval ratings have dipped to 32%, while mine rest at 83%. I'm allegedly the second most admired woman in the United States, just behind Oprah Winfrey. Ridiculous as it is, this ranking is hardly the most ridiculous aspect of my life. Reminding Americans how much they love you reminds them they love the president, Hank told me. You'll be taking one for the team, and all you have to do is show up and pretend you have an ego like the rest of us. Um, I think I have to stop. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's an embarrassing line that I just can't stop. Don't say. read the line. No, keep, reading, no, keep reading the line. No, no. I, can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm sorry. I know I... I you can buy the book. No, no, I don't. I, this is what I, t I told Larry this ahead of time. I've said, like, when I, especially with my short stories, there's lines that, you know, a, a nice Midwestern woman just can't say into a microphone. <laughs> Even that she can write them, but you can, <laughs> writing and speaking are totally different. Okay, sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> so what, there's a lot there that's kind of interesting. I mean, I think, I think the fact that you, you know, the, as a fiction writer, you bring us into the, you know, really private life. And, and to me, it, this is one of the ways in which first ladies are really important. Yeah. They are kind of the non-controversial, non-political hot air balloon that kind of lifts the president because they are such political animals now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm -hmm. I think, yeah, no, I think that there's somebody who I, I meant to look this up, and of course I failed, that someone said it's something like it's the, being first lady is like the toughest unpaid job there is. Um, and it, 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 it's so, it is very interesting where it's so kind of antiquated in so many ways and seems so, um, you know, like there's so much room for error, but then you're sort of, almost like you can, you can be mocked even if you do everything right, which it's, it's interesting. I don't know how many of you have read um, Michelle Obama's Becoming, um, but I, I loved it, loved it, loved it. And uh, I do think that, I don't know, like I think that she really, obviously I, I liked her going into it, but I think that she did it perfectly. And, and I do, in some ways I think that she didn't, 
she didn't get that much credit. Like in some ways that, that, that she has that such a sort of, um, you know, natural, charming personality where people want to be friends with her that I, I don't, like I think that there were maybe even like that car karaoke thing she, that she had like rehearsed it many, many times. Like I think that she was really working very hard for it to all seem as like delightful and effortless as it often did. I think she had some guests in the back seat too. I think I've never watched it. Yeah. I know. I'll go home yeah. tonight. No, and there's like some pretty famous guests <laughs> who pop up on the back of the, really? the karaoke. Um, I know we could. Too bad we don't have a screen. Yeah, but have you have you thought about the ways in which presence, presence, and their party are helped by first ladies? Is that part of your imagining? No, you know I don't. I I feel like um, so when I'm writing fiction, I usually think in terms of the structure, whether it's a short story or a novel, the structure of the entire piece, and then the scenes and what happens in them, and everything else kind of bubbles up. Like, it's not, it's not as if I would think to myself, this is the role of first ladies in the United States, and then I would seek to illustrate that. It would be almost the reverse, where I would think how, like, what is one person's experience, and then that one person's experience would kind of be a stand-in for the role. There is a kind of shocking scene at the end, which um, we won't give away, but where um, the Laura Bush character takes a very public action that uh, clearly is against what her pres what the George Bush character's position is. Yeah. And it seemed like you know there was there was a kind of a hush in Washington, like she broke the rules. <laughs> She's yeah. not supposed yeah. to do that. Yeah. Which of course everyone, I mean some people have also said this book is a liberal fantasy and like she never did that. I mean sometimes I do think like both Barbara Bush and Laura Bush said they were pro-choice which I think is is supposed to in some ways like you know calm Democrats down a little bit or something like that which but and, and now I do think it's it's interesting even like reading that section I just in, in hearing my like fake description of George Bush's schedules like like all that sort of normalcy has been stripped away like it's it's so hard to imagine you know Trump having a schedule like that but so I don't I don't think things are being used in the same way now but historically I think in some ways the the first lady is meant to be like kind of extra charming or like if there's a concern you have about the president, sh maybe she'll reassure you a little bit implicitly. So isn't this kind of like a prison? That if you become <laughs> first lady? Oh yeah, the White House is a prison. The I White mean, House is a prison, yeah. but as a person, your personhood yes. with a conscience and a voice and the intelligence to put all that together, well, I mean, you give if, all that up. If you, I think that it depends how much your politics align with your spouse's. So I think you could feel like you know you're you're doing the Lord's work or something. Or like I, I will say, I mean, I certainly like my um, favorite candidate for 2020 is definitely Elizabeth Warren. Um, but I, I'm, I am kind of fascinated by Pete Buttigieg, um, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, and and his. Husband Ch Chasen, I think is how you say. It. Is that how you say? It? Anyway, that uh, that um that it seems like like, and I think this is true probably for all the political spouses. He happens to be the one who's gotten the most attention. It seems like in the race, but that that if you if you totally believe in what your spouse is doing, it, it then it would feel like it's like almost like your political or it's like a patriotic sacrifice to to live in the White House, which I think is probably. Again, this is very presumptuous of me, but I think that's probably how Michelle Obama saw it. That it was—it wasn't necessarily good for their family, but it was good for the country for her husband to be president. Uh, you did, gave an interview in which you said, "I really like writing about characters in a balanced, complicated way, <laughs> and I don't think I could do that with Melania Trump. <laughs> I don't admire her. I don't see her as one-dimensional, but neither do I see her as someone whose consciousness I yearn to explore." <laughs> Is that is that just? I mean, why? Do I do I agree with myself? I agree with myself. Uh, yeah. No. no, but why? I, know, I, was, why? I was afraid why? you were going to break out something I had said, and you know, nine years why, ago. Why though? I mean, what is it that she doesn't share your partisan identity? Um, so that might be part of it. Um, but I think th this sounds like a joke, but is is actually true. That if you if you think about. Um, being, like if I were to write about the world from Melania's point of view, in some ways 
a, a significant portion of what I'd be writing about would be being married to Donald Trump. And, and I feel like, I mean, can you imagine? Like, first of all, I wouldn't, <laughs> seriously, I wouldn't, um, because it's such an, uh, you know, it's, it's so, uh, by the way, is this, are these events like bipartisan or do we, do we assume? No, no, you <laughs> Not should. after tonight, so oh. sorry. <laughs> Sorry for ruining the, the, no, the you're, dialogue you're across difference. No, um, um, but but I do. I feel like. Um, sorry, should, sorry. Do you want to answer that, or should I keep going? No. Um, I, I think that that I, like. I, I, it's and I'm, I feel like you and I have had a conversation. I'm, I'm sort of. I'm very interested in your perspective. That to me, um, Trump's presidency feels like uniquely terrible and, and depressing and, and awful in terms of what I remember in my lifetime. And, and like, I feel like that, that it's, so, it's so demoralizing and it's so marginalizing to so many groups of people. And, um, and so I, I feel, among other things, that I would not almost like choose to give more real estate in my brain to Donald Trump than he already takes. I mean, it's almost like for the same reason I don't follow him on Twitter. Like, I just, it's like I get enough from him, of him, in the air that I breathe. But, but let, me come, let me come back to you as just like a, <laughs> as a craft point almost. Yeah. You spent 550 pages on uh, Laura and George Bush, and 450 of them or so are about Laura Bush and her internal life. Right. Is there no imagining that Melania Trump, who was born in Slovenia, who was, uh, you know, had to be secretly baptized a Catholic because she lives in an oppressive communist country, mm -hmm. speaks five languages, is reported to be remarkably kind and considerate to the people around her. Mm -hmm. Is there no way in which you could imagine that here was a person who was living, you know, just the kind of tortured uh, private life that at times you described with Laura Bush? Larry, I think maybe you should write a Melania novel. <laughs> you have a lot of okay. So I will say everything. Everything you're saying, I agree. With. I think she does have an inner life, which I I think that Donald Trump, I sincerely think, doesn't have an inner like almost like alone among anyone I've ever met and ever like interacted. I've never interacted with him, um, but. I do, I think you're right, but I, but I don't, like, the, the fact is, I think there's so many subjects to write about, and I, I won't get to most of them, so it's like, I, I just, I just don't want to, I mean, I, I do think it's, it is interesting, because when she married him, did she think he would be president, and you know, what, like, reportedly, she's a devoted mother, so it's like, I think that there are, I mean, she's, it's also like, she's a birther. And like, I don't, I don't want to write a novel about a birther. Like, it, you know, I, I, so I, it's not, I think that she's. Okay, I, yeah. we got it. We got it. <laughs> Very clear. There's no chance. Uh, um, you raise uh, a number of really broad themes um, that I want to just touch base with you on, and then we'll open it up to questions or outrage. Hopefully there are fewer <laughs> Republicans here. Um, so one of the themes you talk a lot about quite a bit is journalism. Mm -hmm. um, you wrote this really uh, kind of captivating piece on Hillary Clinton for Esquire, mm -hmm. um, in which the, the two main characters are Hillary Clinton and then the unnamed, the journalist. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a very unfavorable uh, portrait. But in- <laughs> It's fiction. It's, it's a fiction. A short story. It's fiction, but again, mm -hmm. the kind of Curtis Sittenfeld <laughs> close resemblance <laughs> to reality. Um, so there's one scene in uh, American Wife in which um, a White House staffer says, hey, we should do a piece on your daughter who's at Princeton and she's volunteered to work with you know, disadvantaged people. It's a great story. It'll really put the White House out in a very positive way. Um, can we do this story? And the Laura Bush character says no. And here's what she says. Here's what Curtis Sittenfeld says. Um, <laughs> I know that some people feel that if it isn't documented, it didn't happen. But I disagree. I disagree. It is not a camera or a reporter that makes something real and genuine. More often, a camera or a reporter does the opposite. Is that, is that your view? I mean, do you feel like journalism today is failing in America? Um, that's a, that's a very broad question. So I, I think that 
and maybe those are two, like, like the, you know, does it make it fake? Like, interestingly, this was before the huge, I wrote those sentences before the huge rise of social media. Um, but I, I do, this, this is something that I sincerely do and did admire about Laura Bush, that I felt like she knows who she is, and, and there's, there is a sort of public game that she did have to play and she kind of played, but I don't think that unlike many public figures, I don't think she lived her life trying to um, like prove something. And, and I think that like maybe, maybe if she had, she could have you know, achieved more, whatever that means, or however you, you measure that. But I, I mean, it's funny, because you know how some people say like, I hate the media, and which is, I feel like that's like saying like, I hate food, or I hate music. Like it's like, well, there's many kinds. And, but almost, I would almost say like, I love the media. You know, like I, I feel like, uh, you know, it's uh, like for, so, you know, for, for my education and for, um, you know, holding public figures accountable. And so, so I mean, I, I am, I think that a theme that I'm interested in, in a lot of my writing and in life is sort of authenticity and fakeness and how it can be hard and probably harder than ever before in 2019 to be, you know, sincere and like wh what is what is sincerity on Twitter or should we, or like Facebook or should we just all assume that it's completely fake and en enjoy each other's fakeness? And so I don't, I don't know if I know like the answer to that, but mm -hmm. I, I certainly find those questions to be very interesting. Yeah, in this um, fictional piece in Esquire, the journalist is arrogant, um, unfair, um, and, um, and, and, and kind of gross. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and female, by the way, too, also. And female, <laughs> not, yeah. Not, so it's, yeah, es someone, an editor at Esquire um, reached out to me in the spring of 2016 and said, do you want to write a short story about Hillary Clinton on the eve of accepting the Democratic nomination? And I, I actually hadn't written a short story for a while, and I, I was kind of on the fence, and then I did it, and, and, and then it, it turned out to be like, accepting that assignment I think was very pivotal because I then went on to write a short story collection, and now I'm writing a novel from Hillary's point of view, but um, it was it was like a sort of, like I, I, don't, I don't think I would have done it if not for that, that I just thought, but and of course, the, the interesting thing about fiction is that story, which came out I think in, April or May 2016, it reads very differently now than, than it did when it was published. But. Um, another theme that kind of uh, weaves its way through your writing is the health of our democracy. Um, you Thank say, you. No one's ever said that to me before. Um, you said at one point, referring to the George Bush character, all I did was marry him. You're the ones who gave him power. And um. I mean, it's well again. I think I think the question of Laura Bush's complicity is a very interesting one because is you know did she like are there people who thought oh he he must be okay because she's married to him and and then they you know but but it's also like you know it it turns out. I don't know that that I don't know. I, I think it's I, isn't there like I don't know. Do you ever study like this sort of? Isn't people is voting like not essentially logical anyway? So yeah, I'm actually not of that belief. <laughs> I don't think the really? research supports it. No, really. Well, I mean, depends what you mean by logical. Right. Right. If you have you know you're a conservative and you identify as a Republican, you support a Republican candidate. That that is logical. I mean, I think it's, or, you know, or the economy is not doing well after eight years of a Democrat and you vote for the Republican, not knowing that Republican well, there's, there's logic to that. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's how you, how you sort of weigh, like, what importance you assign. Yeah, I mean, you do describe uh, Americans as gullible. <laughs> and, you know, I think writing... Laura Bush, the Laura Bush stand-in describes them as, well, no, I, I mean, I actually, I... I well, I think I do think that like sometimes like don't don't many consumers of news or you know viewers or something think like there must be people who fall for for that like I don't know who they are or like there like there are times when I see you know politicians like like even mm -hmm. speaking or in debates or something where I'll think like 
who could fall for this? But but again, maybe it's like I'm seeing it through my my liberal eyes, well, and I already decided. Yeah, I mean, what, what Elizabeth I Warren is floating all sorts of messages, and it's been poll tested too. And you're hearing them, and it she's so natural. No, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> it, it registers with you. I mean, I think I think what's interesting is, you know, here you've got an administration. I would say it was one of the most sophisticated, and um, you're very good with the Karl Rove character and kind of. Uh, bringing him forward and his dastardliness. Um, and, you know, I think people see the Karl Rove strategy of playing to the base, using poll-tested messages to activate individuals yeah, um, and to get them charged up as the model of American politics. Yeah. And the question then for me is, do you say, what's wrong with our political system and the general information environment that that kind of politics is uh, scoring? Or do you turn to voters who are, you know, they're reliant on journalists doing their job, reliant on political parties, weaving out, weeding out incompetent candidates? Do you blame the voters who are trying to raise their families and pay their, their way through life? Or do you, pay, do you blame the politicians who are out there to try to manipulate them? I think both, but okay, both. okay, <laughs> okay. We got a bunch of questions here. Um, what are you reading right now? Um, let's see. I, the two books that I recently really enjoyed um, are one, a, a graphic memoir. Graphic meaning drawn, not graphic. Mean, although it is kind of explicit, but it's called Good Talk, and it's by a writer named Mira Jacob, um, and it's sort of about like her her son having these comments she grew up in in Albuquerque New Mexico and um, she's of Indian descent and she married a white man and then they so they have a multiracial son and it's kind of he started asking all these questions about race um, around the time Obama was elected and so but it, so it's really about like you know, family and parents and kind of coming of age and being a writer. And it's, it's just really funny. And it felt different from anything I had ever read. Um, and, then, and then it kind of leads up to the Trump election. And then I also just read an excellent novel that's like 200 pages, which I really want to write an excellent 200-page novel. But it's by a writer named Jill Cement, C-I-M-E-N-T. And it's called The Body in Question. And it's about... Um, the, the protagonist is a woman who's on a sequestered jury in central Florida. And um, yeah, she, I mean, among other things, it's this sort of like, like horrible, vivid trial. And she's attracted to one of her fellow jurors and they're not allowed to be alone together like by law. So those are, they're both excellent, the body in question. Um, so those, those are two books I really liked recently. Second question, which novelist do you admire and learn from? Um, well, my favorite writer is the Canadian um, short story writer, Alice Munro, which um, a lot of people, I think, feel like her short stories have the complexity of, of novels. And so just in terms of insight into the human condition and, um, you know, like ambition and complexity and, and sort of a nuanced view of, of human nature, um, I feel like no one compares to her for me. Hmm. Um, Couple questions here about Laura Bush. <laughs> so, if you met Laura Bush, would it be awkward? Um, that's an interesting question. So, I think the short answer, it, well, it's, <laughs> we've been talking tonight about our internal lives. Like, I think internally, it would certainly be extremely awkward for me. Like, um, externally, I think that, that both of us probably. Um, are sort of trained enough in terms of our manners that we would we would hold it together. But I will say, for years after writing American Wife, I would not frequently, but every so often, I would dream that I met her. And and in the dream, she would know that I had sort of written like a semi distasteful novel about her. But she would be too polite to acknowledge it. And so she would be sort of d like distantly pleasant, but we wouldn't be interacting. Do you closely. think she would find this distasteful? Um, just privately, not, not for like, you know, a large audience of people, but just, do you think she would read it and wait, say- Wait, sorry, I'm answering this privately or privately how would she find no, it? <laughs> no, just no, from you, public no, reading. What would be your hunch about how her reaction? Do you think so, she would read it and say, you know, 
that Curtis Sittenfeld, what a rotten person. Mm, I think uh, yes and no. So, so over the years, a lot of people have said to me, do you think she's read it? Because obviously, you know, she's a librarian, she's a reader. And, and I think the answer is probably no, because I do think that to be so famous, she must have um, developed abilities to tune things out that normal people or non-famous people don't, don't need to do. Um, and there's so much written about her that it's not like her egotism or curiosity or something I think would have been dulled um, in a way that if, if someone, if I said to most people in this room, there's a novel that, and you're the main character, like you might think like, I just can't help myself, I have to read it. So, so in that way, I wouldn't be surprised if someone close to her read it and summarized it. And I, I think that, um, I mean, th again, there's this tonal weirdness where what I'm doing is not completely different from like, a Saturday Night Live sketch in the most literal or reductive sense. Like, it's not, but it's because it's like, you know, imagining her like feelings with her parents or whatever. Like, I, I know that if I were her, I would not enjoy reading it. And in some ways, the, the closer I got to anything accurate, the less I would enjoy it if I were her. Like, I would just feel like, uh, yeah. So, so who knows? If you were with her. Laura Bush. <laughs> Was there a question that you'd want to ask her? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think like in a in a weird way, I think that that writing this book was answering my questions. And so, and there came a point when I think I was like 80% finished with it. And I sort of thought, what does she think of George Bush? Or like, like it's sort of, so, so I mean, if I, if, if, if you said like, she read it, she loves it. She wants to have a really honest conversation with, I'd be like, it would be the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me, but I just don't anticipating, anticipate that ever happening. So I've, I've kind of reconciled myself to. Uh, another writer question, mm -hmm. Lori Corwin. Oh, do I like her? Of course. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, Michelle Obama's uh, book, Becoming. You mm -hmm. talked about how much you liked it. Um, is there something particularly striking about it that you would single out and say, here's why? Yes. So actually, I, I wrote a review of it for Vanity Fair. So you can find all the things I would say. But the, I think above all, I think it's more candid than you would expect it to be. And that she sort of makes herself more vulnerable or admits to more ambivalence or confusion at different times in her life. By the way, as a side note, I recently, I listened to the audio of Amy Klobuchar's um, memoir, and I, I feel like memoirs, that, that readers tend to be very cynical about political memoirs, and maybe it's because anyone who's who would be inclined to read a political memoir thinks of themselves as sort of savvy and cynical. But I thought it was, I'm sure people in this room have, have read it, but I thought it was delightful. And there's all these details like in high school, she, she was in a friend group of four people and it was Amy, 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 and Heidi. And like they went on spring break to get, like there's all these great personal details that, and it's so funny, but okay, anyway. That's a very writerly way of thinking about things. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that, I, that it's like her high school. I know there's, there's a lot more details like that that have like stuck with me. But because I moved to Minnesota only about a year ago, so I felt like I was getting to know Amy Klobuchar, the Iron Range. Like I almost thought, like, what's the Iron Range? Or so. <laughs> now I know. Um, the First Lady is such an American institution. No. When you're in other countries, the, the spouse or partner of... Um, the head of the government is not that well known. Uh, but have you done any research or looked into um, the, the partners or spouses of um, other heads of state? Um, I haven't. There's, there's a novel by um, the writer John Burnham Schwartz about, is it the, the Japanese, it's, it's, it's almost like the Japanese American wife. And so it's, um, and I think it's called The Commoner, and so it's the woman who married, I don't, I feel like I should be able to say what his name is, and I can't. Um, so only in that way have I kind of thought about it, but I've never, like that would be a whole, a whole new level of research. I almost feel like I'd have to go like live in the country for a year or something before I, before I wrote about someone else. So we increasingly have women running for office. I know. I've noticed that. <laughs> we, we had one uh, female candidate who won the most vo votes. Mm, I remember. Uh, wasn't uh, elected president. What is it going to be like for the first man, do you think? 
I mean, I don't think I think I I don't think it'll be that big a deal. Like I think it's one of those things like um, you know, President Obama and and his being the first black president where it's like hmm. you know, it it was very emotional and significant at first. And I think and I, I still think it's like a huge, you know, wonderful thing, but I think in terms of like his daily existence, I, th I certainly think race played into like how he was viewed, you know, um, by by especially like white Americans and probably the people who voted for Trump largely. But but I don't I don't think most Americans would see him, you know, like delivering a speech in the Rose Garden or something and think like the first black American, pre you know, like they would just think Obama. So I think I think it would become we would get used to having, although again, I do think it's interesting with Pete Buttigieg, that and partly his husband is really delightful on Twitter, but I'm sort of fascinated where people are like, the historic nature, and it's like, if you know Kamala Harris is elected, like her husband, that too will be, I mean, <laughs> that'll be very historic, or like, you know, if Kristen Gillenbrand is, like it's like any man, it will be the first man, so I, I don't, yeah. So here would be my white male perspective. <laughs> I think for men, they are so um, kind of socialized in our culture to be out front. The idea of sublimating, yeah. su sublimating yeah. who you are yeah. is inconceivable. I, like for instance, if Hillary Clinton had actually been inaugurated, yeah. what are the chances that Bill Clinton is going to play the accommodating, yeah, Quiet. but well, but the Clintons are their own like animals, and so I do think like like I I follow Kamala Harris's husband, who I don't even know his name on on Twitter, but um, but like <laughs> he looks pleasant. Um, um, I I think that not everyone is built, not every man is Bill Clinton. And I actually think it could be a great. Th I mean, there are plenty. Like I I don't know what the data is off the top of my head, but like plenty of women earn who are married to men and earn more than those men, and I think and like have more significant jobs, however you want to quantify that. I think it could be like a great thing for that to be normalized and for kids to see that and for, you know, for, for boys to see like, uh, you know, that the, a woman can be, can have the more prominent job in a heterosexual marriage. Back to American Wife. <laughs> Question from um, our friends here with us. The grandmother says at one point to a young uh, um, adult Laura Bush, mm -hmm. marriage is no picnic but it's a lot better than being single. <laughs> is this the core theme of American Wife? No. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a one word answer. Okay. No, definitely not. So uh, here we are in Minnesota. I'm sure you chose Wisconsin for a reason, but you know, Minnesotans aren't that fond of Wisconsin. I, I have that. heard that. Yeah, so there's a question here, why Wisconsin? What led to that awful decision? <laughs> Well, I had no idea that, that 11 years later I'd move here. I think that I wanted it to be um, just like, well, so, so I mean, partly I, I moved it for plausible deniability. I moved from Texas to somewhere else for plausible deniability. And, and partly, and then I'm, I grew up in Ohio. I went to grad school in Iowa. I lived in Missouri for 11 years of my adult life. So, um, like I felt, I, I also think that Texas has such a specific sort of culture and I felt like I was trying to get the political stuff right and the like details of a person born in the 1940s right and I almost felt like Texas was too much to take on, like it was one thing too many. So then I looked around and it was probably process of elimination. Like I know this might be, I might be digging myself really, really deeply in here. It almost probably could have been Minnesota and it wouldn't have been that different, sorry. <laughs> Uh -oh. I, know, I, know. I think you've just <laughs> suffered a very severe loss. Of I'll be, I'll be moving <laughs> in at the end of the, the um, no. So uh, last question. Um, uh, question is, can we look forward to seeing any of your books on the big screen or the little screen? Um, that, that too is a very interesting question. So um, m several, almost all but one of my books have been optioned at various times in, in some cases repeatedly, including American Wife. I think, I think it just came up on its like, you know, it's usually, options usually are 18 months. So whatever 11 years divided by 18 months, it's been optioned by, by the same sort of production company. Um, so, I mean, th like at one point I read a screenplay for it and then there's a British director named 
Michael Winterbottom, um, who wanted to make a mini series. And we that's the only time that I've attended actual meetings in LA, which I, I thought sounded very glamorous. It actually consisted of like, um, getting lost in parking garages in Burbank with Michael Winterbottom. So it was just like, and, and, and it was also like, he was at, at all the meetings, people would say what a fan they were of his. And I would think like, there's, I'm here too. You know, there are, there are other people. But um, the short answer is like, don't turn on your TV just yet. Or don't, I mean, there's always stuff in development, but until it happens, it, it hasn't okay. happened. Yeah. So we tend to be optimistic. Yeah. We'll say, <laughs> look forward to Curtis Sittenfeld's uh, new novel and uh, yeah, that her, definitely her, her arrival yes, on yes. the big There's screen. There's a 100% chance of and, that. And um, we've got books outside for sale. Curtis is going to hang around, sign some. Um, and uh, they make excellent gifts is what I hear. They do make excellent gifts. They're timeless. They're timeless. Um, thank you so much, Larry. Thank, thank you very you. much, Curtis Sittenfeld. <laughs> <laughs>